If not me, who? If not now, when? If not supply chain to lead the sustainability agenda in organisations, the people who are responsible from product design through to delivery and back again, then who? If not now, at the point of a climate emergency, with very little time to fix things, then when? Are we supposed to wait until it's too late? If you're listening to this, you're probably already thinking on those lines, so let's put the sentiment aside and turn our attention to how. How do we change our behaviours to seize this important opportunity? And what are the challenges we need to overcome in order to make those changes? That is what episode two of How Supply Chain Saves the World is all about, where we explore the integral role of leadership in supply chain sustainability. I was joined by Rebecca Morley, a very good friend, an ex-supply chain leader from RB and Danon, who is now a leadership coach. She's perfectly positioned to dissect this topic, and I cannot be happier with the outcome. It certainly had an impact on me. It's great, by the way, to be recording this second intro compared to the first one, where frankly I felt like I was talking to myself, and after 27 takes, I wanted to jump out of the window, frankly. It's great to know that I'm talking to people, uh, and it's not just people, it's hundreds of you, um, which is bonkers. We've got listeners in 17 countries, for goodness sake. And thanks so much to the brilliant messages we've received as well. To the likes of Tim, Priscille, Craig, Gunter, Ritu, Conrad and Martin. Uh, it's great to hear from you all. I want to hear more from you around what topics you need to know about and who you'd like to hear on the podcast series. It feels like we really could have an impact So if you like what you hear and you agree that this is the topic people need to hear about, please spread the word. Anyway, another lesson from episode one is just how boring intros can get if you let yourself talk for too long. So straight over to the snug in Pod HQ and my amazing chat with Rebecca. (laughs) Does that cut through the coffee? Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. So, welcome to episode two of How Supply Chain Saves the World. I am joined today by Rebecca Morley. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, John. How are you doing? You all right? I'm very excited to be here. So, well, welcome to Pod HQ. It's lovely to see you again. So, look, um, let's set the scene for our chat. Um, episode one uh, was very much about all of the different topics that we could be exploring um, when talking about supply chain and sustainability. Um, and we've decided that episode two we jumped straight in on the debate around leadership which I think is probably going to be a bit surprising to certain listeners why would that be the first thing when you consider um, the media is is all about plastics packaging waste reduction circular economy all that sort of stuff I think probably some of the listeners would have expected us to get stuck into that topic first but I strongly felt um, before episode one and then after episode one having looked at the notes and built the, um, the, 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 the blog that went with it Leadership is categorically the place that we need to go yeah. to next. That's my opinion. What about what about you? Why do you think it's so integral to this debate? I think that essentially for anyone working in this space, it's really important to remember that leadership is absolutely everything you do. Mm. And so we can have we can we can jump into the plastics debate or the emissions debate or reducing waste across the supply chain, but without really strong leadership, 
none of that's going to change, even with really strong logical arguments for why we need to reduce plastic, why we need to reduce emissions, why we need to reduce waste. Without great leaders in place, then none of those things are actually going to shift mm. as much as they need to. And so leadership has to be the place we start because mm. the people who are going to be at the forefront of making this change need to win hearts and minds. Mm. They need to be able to convince mm. and bring people along on the journey with them. Yeah. And those are really key leadership skills. Cool. I was a bit nervous about putting leadership in the second episode because mm. I'm just a bit fearful about how an existing leader might feel a bit um, intimidated isn't the right word, but offended or defensive um, and, and maybe not sort of recognise the need or feel attacked, uh, you know, or preach to, and, and that's something that's very easy, uh, yeah. um, easy traps to kind of fall into. Um, so I think we should approach today around sort of, a, not sympathetic, but like a pragmatic yeah. uh, approach to the way that we see um, the challenges in, in leadership. You're perfectly positioned from your experience, which we'll go into in a minute. Mm. I think I'm also very well positioned because I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of supply chain leaders uh, and also happen to be a kind of leader myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so hopefully we, we've got enough qualification in the room. But so for people who, haven't, um, who don't know you, I've known you for, I was working out, so I think it's about 12 or 13 years, perhaps. That's longer than that. You used to recruit for me early doors at Rackets when we were still in Swindon. Yeah, it's a bit annoying that you're not in supply chain anymore because <laughs> you're a really placeable candidate and yeah, a very I, loyal... Yeah, but I used to put candidates uh, in with me when you were still at Bainock. Like, that's well, crazy. Yeah, I was going to say you were a very loyal hiring manager as well. It, it, I was, I it was. Always, it, I believed you know, in pod endlessly. Brilliant. Endlessly. That's very nice of you to say. Well, I, you're no use to me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know where things might go. <laughs> Um, just on your last point about yeah. leadership and kind of being really sensitive to people who are doing a good job out there, yeah. I am yet in my role as leader, and as coach, sorry, to, to some really senior leaders in lots of different industries now, I'm yet to meet one who thinks A, they're the finished article, mm. or B, they have all the leadership skills they need. There's so much... Um, imposter syndrome out there still even in people who like you know other people really put on a pedestal yeah people don't always believe in their leadership skills yeah and, and that's actually part of the challenge so I think, yeah if you did if you truly believed you were the, the dog bollocks as a leader you've yeah. probably got some sort of personality well exactly disorder yeah you're probably you're probably sat there thinking well why didn't they invite me on to this <laughs> Just before we jump in, because we've got so much to cover, um, you're now a leadership coach. You've been doing that for a few years now, having spent 12 very successful years in supply chain. Um, How would you describe what you do? Okay, Um, so I am an executive coach and leadership development specialist, I call myself now, because I do, as well as coaching, I I also do quite a lot of leadership development skills training for kind of bigger groups. Um, and from an executive coaching point of view, I coach leaders in fast growth businesses, yep. um, values-based businesses usually, quite often um, they're leaders who are in their first very senior C-suite role, um, and I help them with all of the things that go with that. So you know the, the, the energy and the rigour that it takes to drive organisational change, 
the um, the kind of I, I guess the, the difficulties of maintaining positivity and um, yeah. communication, having the impact that you want to have across the organisation, casting the shadow that you want to cast, mm. understanding the perception um, that other people have of you, um, continuing to develop in a leadership space, even though you know you're, you're reaching the top of. Um, the hierarchy that can be really really difficult mm. you, you can just end up kind of giving all the time and, mm. and understanding how you continue to develop in that space and also um, being that safe harbour for people often yeah. as well to swing into and Get talk about the things yeah, and, and just to play around with ideas you know that people come to me with these huge knitted balls of loads of different threads of ideas and priorities and visions for the future and issues they're trying to fix like massive massive balls of wool of different colours you know that's the kind of analogy we use and I help them to to kind of line those all up untangle them untangle them and work out a way forward and that is really invaluable when you're leading an organisation okay. especially when it's growing and moving at breakneck speed and, okay. and the businesses I work with usually are so yeah that's what I do now Great. thanks for nice nice summary <laughs> it's it's Unusual, I would say. I don't know another supply chain. Actually, I do know one other supply chain person who's gone into uh, coaching. A lady called Marlies. Yeah. Uh, I'm very happy to shout out. On, uh, I'll, I'll send, put a link to her profile as well on, on the supporting information. Um, but to go from supply chain management, I mean, to coaching. What is it about you that made made you suited to that shift or? interested in that shift the, the two seem naturally not, not natural bedfellows mm. which is why we're discussing leadership in a supply chain context right yeah. because <laughs> they don't necessarily um, kind of fit together oh, so you and think leadership and supply chain aren't necessarily natural bedfellows I don't think other people think they are and I think they should be I think that should be something that leadership is absolutely key in supply chain and yeah. you know that's, that's something that we'll talk about later but for me I wanted to coach because yeah. I was coached through a really, really difficult point in my career when I I was, well, and it nearly ended my career at the point in time at which I was coached to kind of pull me back from the brink. Okay. And it was huge. You can't tease us with that. <laughs> Give us okay. a bit more info. So, um, so quick potted history. Take Sorry, off. Rebecca, we're fading you out there and we're going to come back into the conversation about 15 minutes later. Uh, so that we can get to the good stuff faster. What you're going to miss is Rebecca talking about her graduation from her supply chain degree, uh, her joining RB as a graduate and then moving through demand planning, customer collaboration, and then into demand planning management. We pick up the conversation again uh, just before Rebecca was offered a promotion to head up RB's supply chain in Ireland in 2010. Um, and off I went to Ireland and I got the shock of my life. Okay. Um, having gone from being, you know, like like you said, actually really successful. Not, I didn't feel it always, but looking back, pretty, pretty successful. Never had a knock necessarily. No. Walked into the Irish business at a time when they'd been growing thirty percent year on year, and they had a negative two target for that year. They just got rid of thirty percent of their. Say that again. They they'd gone from growing thirty percent year on year, mm. which was Celtic Tiger stuff. Yeah. The business was storming for about ten years, and the Irish business was kind of untouchable mm. um, and the crash happened and obviously you know every business in Ireland went with it yeah. and they had a, a 
they had a, a flat stretch target and a negative two target for the year that I joined. So when you say negative two, that's two percent. Two percent, like De- decline, decline, decline in on sales. So it was it was stem the loss was our. Okay. Um, Right, so that's a lovely starting yeah, point. Yeah, they got rid of 30% of the headcount, 50% in supply chain, so I had one person instead of two, and the person they'd got rid of was the one with 19 years' experience. The other one hadn't, hadn't a clue. She had, like, six months more experience than me. Mm. Um, and I was on an entirely new management team, so every single person was new. The GM, it was his, his first GM role. Yeah. Um, the only person that was consistent was the sales director, and he'd been there forever. Yeah. Um, so we, we didn't know Just what we were doing. Around. Yeah, and I didn't know what I was doing. And because there was no stability around me, I had no support at all. And I'd gone from having another name check mentor, Simon Brown, who mm. put endless amounts of energy into developing me and saw huge potential in me and was I, amazing. I'm quite interested in getting Simon onto this podcast because he's done that very rare feat of moving from being head of supply chain to a CEO. Yeah, um, yeah. So he's now Burton's Biscuit CEO, and so who better to really kind of explore a case study on leadership and supply chain? Because I agree with you, he's a he's a he's a formidable Formid- in a positive definitely. way, uh, form- formidable leader. He was, um, he was incredible, and no one had ever put that much effort into developing me. Yeah. And I, I don't think, even in my coaching arena, have I ever seen another leader put that much energy into developing their team. Yeah. He had boundless amounts of energy yeah. for any problem that yeah. he saw could be fixed. And yeah. it was really inspirational. I mean, like there were some weeks where I'd cry every day on the way home from work because it was really tough. It was tough love. I seem to remember the odd call <laughs> yeah. um, on the way home from you at that point in time. <laughs> Save me! Save me! But like looking back, <laughs> to actually do that to someone in the pursuit of their development takes quite a lot of... Are you talking about Simon in yeah. terms of... Yeah, and then it carried on and I was... I, was yeah. I, I really kind of... I was upset because it was the first time I'd come out of um, being in a functional line management kind of... I, I wasn't reporting into a supply chain person anymore. Yeah. And I couldn't and speak how the that language. Ch- how, okay, so not being able to speak the language is that of the rest of the business? Mm. Tell me a bit more about that. So I was used to being able to speak to supply chain people. Everybody I had ever dealt with, even at the customer, were generally supply, supply chain, chain people. people. Um, and so we talked in cases and units and service measures. And if I said that we needed to fix an issue in a certain way, I kind of didn't need to explain it. Yeah. And it was, I didn't, I didn't realise that, I couldn't see that for what it was until yeah. it wasn't there anymore right. and I was reporting into a general manager who wanted things as it is his, you know, that's his prerogative, yeah. he wanted things presented to him in a way that was easily understandable to him. Yeah. But he was unable to explain really what that looked like. So yeah. he, there was this real like clashing of heads mm. because as far as I was concerned I was doing a good job, as far as he was concerned I wasn't doing a good job. and. Um, this is definitely someone I'm not going to name check but it his frustration ended up being kind of directed at me which was unfair, it wasn't yeah. my fault I was under supported, it was a really tough time um, and uh, it just undermined me Every, he used to go and get what I was saying to him translated by this finance manager like in front of me 
It was yeah. it was awful, and it just broke me down. I was I ended up really ill. I ended up hooked up to an ECG machine in a Dublin hospital because I had mitral fibrillation, and that was I was really poorly. Uh, so that sounds like a real career low, um, yeah. which I can <laughs> confirm, having spoken to you a few times yeah. at that time in in your life. Uh, and then this wonderful person uh, found you your next role in Danon. Yeah, and things wonderful started. John. Yeah. Oh. You said, I was just saying to somebody the other day, I wish there was another Becky in the world because this should be perfect for I'm call, Yeah, I've, the amount of times I called you up and was like, do you know anyone just like you who I haven't yet placed because I've got this role? <laughs> yeah, it was um, perfect. Yeah, and so, so you then joined Denimon. Yeah. And then it feels like the coaching and development that you received there really helped you to overcome these challenges associated mm-hmm. to the value that leadership was placing on supply chain as a function compared to others, this this desire to seek permission and yeah. kind of imposter syndrome and all that. So tell us a bit about that. It was amazing. So I okay, through, great. Let's well, move on. It was incredible. I walked through the door, I had the most incredible boss who just believed in supply chain as being a driving force in the business. Yeah. So that tick one. Yeah. They gave me a coach um, who was a seven foot tall bodybuilder seven foot tall incredible guy called Howard Thomas just changed my life and that's why I'm a coach now Um, so he basically put me back together bit by bit um, and he taught me resilience he taught me all about taking personal responsibility Um, he he taught me growth mindset like loads of things that helped me just to see kind of what I've been missing okay so imagine okay great so Imagine you're listening to this, yeah. and a lot of what we're talking about is resonating, mm, the, mm. the scent, you know, everything I've just mentioned. Uh, can you talk me through like something that he did with you, or something you would do with somebody else that, would, that, that might be helpful to someone listening in? Yeah, so we talked about all of the challenges that I was facing in the moment. Right. So he wouldn't let me talk about all the things that happened necessarily. He was we only in... Um, the context of how is it holding me back now so if, if there was something that was very pertinent he would allow me to talk about it so we could overcome it and move forward yeah. but he changed my mindset so that it was all future focused okay. what I was able to do was take this incredible role at Danon yeah. that had been open for 18 months that yeah. really struggled to recruit for it as you know yeah. and he helped me really to break down exactly what the challenges were that I was facing and yeah. get really clear on what I wanted to do. And it was no longer about, well, I just want to dig us out of the shit. Yeah. It was actually about having real ownership for what I wanted to do with that role. And that was the first time I'd ever seen it like that, mm. incredibly. You know, it was always problem solving before. Yeah. Um, and so I was able to set this course, this vision, um, and then... I was given kind of mantras and, and ways of working that really helped me to, so to do with m- mantras, so mantras in my okay. head. So, like yeah, yeah, very woo woo. Uh, it wasn't. It conjure wasn't, images. It wasn't. It wasn't like that. So um, the whole team had the same kind of set of, I guess, ways of working that we were signed up to. So yeah. um, number one was um, no excuses, only choices. So right. in supply chain. I found, I'd always found that a lot of supply chain was about making excuses to the rest of the business and that yeah. automatically puts you on the back foot. Right. I'm sorry we didn't get 100% supply, these were all the reasons why. Yeah. Instead, it was, it was to start moving forward with that point and saying, we didn't get 100% because 
we've, we've we actually chose. made the choice to put the forecast in too late because right. we didn't chase you hard enough for it. Yeah. Or um, we made the choice to prioritise Tesco's delivery over Asda's because essentially everything is within your control. And, you know, just so I suppose choices that. versus excuses also means like you're going, presenting the options mm. proactively rather than reacting and to the outcome. that's the mindset you start to get into when you realise that you're making choices not excuses is you start to get on the front foot. It takes a little while, right. but you're presenting people with choices. And that puts you so much more in control. And for me, that was really liberating. It's really interesting because listening to you, I, I, nowadays I would never think twice about saying like this is the issue what do you think we should do mm. I'd never think about presenting the choices but I remember in my 20s when I was in supply mm. chain the idea of stepping forward and doing that would have, would have felt quite alien mm. whereas I suppose people in other functions if you're you know working in sales and marketing coming through those kind of things you're encouraged to come up with choices come up with ideas mm. express yourself without fear of being wrong mm. Mm. um yeah, and it gives you permission to say no as well. Yeah. Like we talked about um, the other one of the other kind of mantras was ruthless focus on the vital ruthless few. Focus. We talked about the vital few, so we would choose five big ticket things. We yeah. get the business to sign up to them. These are the five things we're going to focus on for this quarter or this half. Yeah. Anything else, you are agreeing, you're signing up to the fact that we may not be able to do all of the things you throw at us yeah. because we're focusing on those five things. Yeah. And that, again, came back to that no excuses, only choices. We've made the choice to focus on these five things or these ten things. And if the business wanted to shift direction on that, there was a sign-off process to, to switching in one of the something else for one of those five things. And it became much more about being in control. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess, on reflection, I can look back and see that all of that angst I'd felt in Ireland was about feeling out of control. It was, yeah, and, and, and taking back all of that kind of stuff they called it a winning attitude and it really it did feel like that to me it was brilliant okay so do you think that you maintained those lessons throughout the rest of your supply chain leadership career yeah so I what happened so just in my head I'm thinking you know your next role you weren't you didn't necessarily have somebody leading supply chain who set that that mm. path no so did you, were you able to step up and then set that kind of agenda yourself the next time around? Yeah, so I went from Dan on to Amiga. Yeah. Um, and <coughs> we had a very... Another great job found uh, by... Another great job found by Fartan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly where I wanted it. It fit, um, fit with my kind of personal needs for, for looking after learning and development as well as yeah. um, supply chain. I took so much of it with me. So much of because we'd, we'd won awards for our approach at, at Danon. Danon. Yeah. Um, we'd nicked a load of stuff from the factory about visual management and getting up in front of the team and um, really kind of outing the issues and putting people on the spot, not not like negatively, but yeah. getting people to step just forward and say what they're doing about things. Yeah, yeah. what am I going to do this week about this big issue that we're all facing? And then they'd come back the week after and say, like, talk about how they'd fixed it, and we'd celebrate that. And there was a, you know, we created energy mm. that I'd never seen in supply chain. I'd always seen this very heads downness. This um, is really interesting, right? Because, sorry, let's try and remember yeah. where we're going to come energy, back energy, to. Energy, energy, <laughs> <laughs> energy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was talking to somebody at um, a conference recently, who was a very successful senior supply chain lead, global SNOP leader. Mm. 
Mm. And he was talking about how he'd created this global program team. People had made massive sacrifices, left their family behind for six months to drive this huge project internationally on a major blue chip business. And when he was celebrating those successes and communicating those successes and building a bit of an internal brand and a story about their achievements, a lot of other people in supply chain started turning their noses up at, at him and the way he was doing it as if he was kind of, uh, you know, being self-promoting or something like that. Where do you think, where do you think that kind of attitude, where, where does that come from? Because if you come from a sales and marketing background, you, you wouldn't have those hang-ups, would you? Right, so I know you wanted to steer away from being controversial in this podcast. Well, I'm trying. Right? I, I found myself slipping into slight controversy in episode one, and so there we go. Let's just okay. try and remain pragmatic. I'll try and stay pragmatic. Solution focused. Maybe, maybe I'll say what I think first, and then I'll try and kind okay, of talk cool. around it. What I think is that there are a good many people in supply chain who just want a quiet life, and that's well. why they strive for this getting 100% service and great forecast accuracy because your mentality is if I fix those things, if I fix the cost line and I fix service and I fix forecast accuracy, then there's a quiet life awaiting me and that seems to be the mentality that they get into and actually driving real change is about anything but a quiet life because you're creating work for yourself essentially by going out there and challenging the status quo, breaking new ground, really kind of tackling what's gone before. You, you're creating work for yourself. It takes energy. It's not about having a quiet life. Okay. So I'm going to put, put the counter-argument to that. I think what you're describing is a negative way of just potentially of describing <laughs> the outcome of certain circumstances, right? Yeah, so maybe. supply chain functions originally were just there to do what the commercial leadership of a business wanted out of them. Absolutely. And so they were naturally reacting uh, yeah. to what was wanted of them. That is the that is the dynamic as a starting point. And so you make excuses rather than provide an organisation with choices because you're being put in a position of subservience to start mm-hmm. off with. So if that's, you know, likewise in society and, you know, different certain... Certain communities feel less privileged than others, mm. and therefore they need to be given a push up mm. in order in order to create that diversity of thinking we in society or within business and so I think um the quiet life kind of analogy comes from that those those set of dynamics maybe as a starting point, so yeah. I'd probably say it's like it's reacting rather than being totally proactive. Great. see how I t- flipped yeah. it this is very diplomatic of me something's changed. <laughs> And actually, Am I, am I finally growing up? Me, that flipping provides me the perfect segue <laughs> to talk about coaching and where coaching comes in. Okay, we've forgotten about energy, but let's <laughs> see if we're, we're, yeah. we're still on the energy point. I promise. I'm going to come. It's, it's, it's cool. very neat. But there's a lot of people in those roles in supply chain that are probably quite frustrated with yeah. themselves yes. for being in that sort of quiet life creation space yeah. that want do want to challenge the status quo, do want a bigger voice in their leadership team, but are unable to make that shift themselves. And Uh, I think that's where coaching comes in. Understood. Because coaching can lift you up and help you to create that energy for yourself in order to step up. Yeah. And you won't get it from anywhere else, actually. I genuinely don't think you can. I I, I totally agree with you. You can't keep digging deep. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You need a purpose. Um, And I I think the thing with coaching is it's not going to work on somebody who's not motivated and doesn't 
feel the need or desire to change. Exactly. And when we were setting this podcast series up, it could have been called, it was probably going to be called the Supply Chain Leaders Podcast. Mm-hmm. I thought, no, stop it. It's a sustainability, it's a sustainability podcast because yeah. sustainability is the single biggest issue that we have globally. Yeah. And if you're in supply chain seeking a reason or not having a reason to step up beforehand, this is it for fuck's sake. Yeah, this is it. Yeah. Everyone needs you to step up. Mm. So if you weren't if you weren't sort of um, driven or didn't have the fire lit beneath you beforehand, you should now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to start driving the agenda. Okay, cool. Totally agree. And I, you know things like forecast accuracy, service, waste numbers, emissions, all those. Well, emissions not so much, but the kind of warehouse line, warehouse cost line, things like that, actually take a back seat when you're thinking about climate change because that has to be number one on the agenda and actually everything else can sit Absolutely. And as you know, you and I were talking beforehand about this triple bottom line thing which John yeah. Cole mentioned a few times. I played I had to look up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Like because so did I, but I, I, you know, I winged it during the podcast and looked it up afterwards. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. So as a business, if you're going to be moving to reporting on profit, impact on profit, people and planet, mm. then the environmental piece, that reporting will be the responsibility of supply chain. Mm. So if profit, people and planet are the three key elements of business performance, then supply chain mm. is going to be one of the three key elements. Mm. And so... If supply chain people can't step up and take that to that next level of leadership, then I think other functional leaders are going to be parachuted in mm. to take over mm. leading supply chain. I think that'd be a terrible, that'd be a real shame. Mm. But I do see it potentially happening further down the line. Yeah. So talking about parachuting other people from other functions in the supply chain, you've now had this great opportunity to get out of supply chain and coach leaders from other functional areas. When you've now with that experience and that insight to tap into, how does that sort of then reflect back into into your your perception of yourself as a supply chain leader and just leaders in supply chain? What have you learned from leaders of other functions, good and bad, that we could we could bring to the the audience? So it's a huge question. (laughs) I'm going to try and answer it kind of fairly succinctly. I. I've had the absolute privilege of coaching in some areas that were were areas of kind of natural curiosity for me. So I, I like fashion and film and um, media and all sorts of spaces like that that yeah. were com- completely kind of like just natural interests. And I somehow, you know, through manifestation or whatever, I've ended up coaching in that space. Gone mm. woo woo again, sorry. Um, and and learned huge things about what it takes to break new ground because those are all spaces where you have to come up with new ideas you can't just go follow what's gone before necessarily Um, and especially I guess the the ad agency that I've been working with in the last couple of years they're they're always coming up with new stuff they're called Elvis they're um, there's the internal mission for them is that they want it to be um, unexpected and unforgettable Great. Which is okay. all about so it's creativity, really, yeah, at its creativity core. at its core, and working with such creative people has taught me so much more about what it really takes to be creative. But also, interestingly, how few differences there are fundamentally 
in those people to mm. the people I would have worked alongside mm. in supply chain like le- leadership wise I guess yeah because we're all just people we're all just trying to do a really good job so it's really interesting so you suddenly you don't necessarily if you describe create leadership as a competency or behavior you don't necessarily put creativity um, within it but I suppose that kind of to a certain extent goes back to this whole um, reactive versus proactive thing you know choices rather than excuses yeah. because if choices is your starting point then you have to start creating yeah, and, and descri- you know yeah. and I've gone from supply chain and engineering to uh, a quite a creative role now mm. and I find my continuous improvements and engineering background is the ideal starting point mm. for the creative process because creativity generally starts from questions yeah. And the amount of times I basically apply my five why, six <laughs> my five why why world class <laughs> manufacturing approach to my recruitment leadership team. Yeah. Um, so I think supply chain people have problem solving and creativity are very very closely linked. Hugely, hugely so. And the the biggest challenge for supply chain leaders, senior leaders, yeah. that I see, and it was a challenge I was presented with at Danon, was almost once you've fixed everything once you've got to a point where you've you've got the business you've got the supply chain um function within the business to a place where it's functioning really well Mm. where do you then go and actually Mm. that is when you've got to start being creative it's not just about creatively solving the problems that land on your desk and go right get problem fix problem next (laughs) which is the mentality that i had and I remember Ian Roebuck saying to me, he was my supply chain director at the time in that role, you've got to start coming up with the problems now. Yeah. And that was that was huge. So, you know, that that's the difference I see in the creative people I'm working with. They go out to clients and they they present their clients with the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I work with an insights agency as well, which is all about working out for people like um, Beam and, and MTV what, what their problems are. So mm-hmm, they're saying mm-hmm. to them, these are the issues you're trying to fix for your... Okay, um, so this is, these, these things that you're describing are not unique to supply chain. I remember no. when I went, when I, sh- I promoted myself from MD to CEO at Pod. <laughs> <laughs> it was seamless, you know. I put in my request. <laughs> it, was, it was just so simple. Um, I said to my team, I was like, I need to stop, I need to switch from providing the answers to posing the questions. Mm. In my head, that's how my role was changing. Mm. And it's very similar to what you're describing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it's not, we're not just describing a supply chain issue, but if, how does that, how, I suppose the question is, how would that apply if you're in in supply chain? And I think part of the question, the, the issue that you have is if you think of supply chain as supply chain, then some of the questions you might be posing are not broad enough. Um, John Paul yes. and I talked yeah, in the first yeah, episode yeah. of, you know, supply chain might not be the right functional term mm. to step forward in terms of sustainability. It feels like value chain, yeah. action, supply chain should be, a, should be a subset of value chain. So if you think yeah. of your supply chain as an end-to-end value chain, then perhaps it sets you up for asking better questions. Yeah, it does. And actually, it, for me, it goes even further beyond that, which is that if you see yourself in supply chain is having permission to look at the whole business and how it works, Yeah. then that suddenly starts to get very interesting. Mm. And if I had my time again, if I went back into supply chain role now, I would give myself that permission to look at the way the whole business works. And it, taking lessons from other really successful people and, 
I work with quite a lot of startup founders as well. They're they're out there just creating mental problems mostly. Yeah. <laughs> to be fixed. Yeah. You know, like that that's how it works. That's how yeah. you keep your energy up when you're doing a startup. Got you believe ama- in the problem you just created. You've got this amazing guy, Ben King, who's the founder of a startup who we've already recorded yeah. a podcast. Uh, on disruptive thinking basically yeah. that's the whole theme of that podcast and, but, but he's created a supply chain product which was going to change the fishing industry yeah, yeah, um, yeah. absolutely amazing so guy. interesting but um, you, you're not conditioned at all to be a disruptive thinker in supply chain no fair your, enough. your job is to nail everything to the floor yeah <laughs> like and that's maybe it's that that's the thing that needs to change is you're you're kind of taught to be conformist you're taught to being that sort of it is yes. that sort of and so I, I, I can imagine if you feel supply chain is quite an, an internalised function as well mm. that makes it much harder to see the bigger picture mm. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm beginning to feel like the, the worst the last thing supply chain leaders should be doing is going to supply chain conferences to go and meet oh, and talk totally. to other supply chain leaders and then be presented to by supply chain consultants and supply mm. chain other supply chain leaders mm. it feels like you know, sympathy rather than empathy uh, yeah. doesn't really lead to change, if you see what I mean. It doesn't. It's, you know, it, it's it's just not... If you think about bigger picture where you get your inspiration from, Yeah. for you, it's probably not reading recruitment magazines. No, it's, it's, it's stuff like, fuck it, I'm going to do a podcast series. Yeah. And not really necessarily knowing where the outcome's coming from uh, if I go to a networking event with an agenda I get nothing out of it yeah. if I go along thinking there's going to be interesting people here we'll see what happens oh my god yeah, exactly. the amount of insight I get yeah. I get insight for recruitment from going to a supply chain conference mm. more than I would often from going to a recruitment well, exactly. conference so <laughs> exactly. I think there's the same yeah. the so same. it's about getting up off your seat we, I, um, at Mega we had this thing called walk, talk, email, that was the order we wanted people nice. to do things in so walk first, walk the floor, see if you can find the person you need to answer the question because that chat, that conversation that you have with the person that you're kind of you need the information from will bring loads of other things out that you didn't yeah, yeah, even know yeah. you needed to know Yeah. Because it moves you away from the purely transactional yeah. kind of email. Can you answer yeah. this question? Do you need 10,000 10, yeah, yeah. cases? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A conversation's way longer than that. Yeah. We all, we're all in efficiency mode all the time, we're all in busy mode. But that walk, talk, email, you know, first of all, walk, see if you can find them. That FaceTime, seeing their facial expressions, you, you glean so much more. If not, phone them. If not, like last resort, email. Yeah. And it made such a difference because yeah. you moved everybody away from the transactional. That's really interesting. I'm seeing the sort of the. I, we've never talked properly about your career since you went into coaching and, I, and what's really interesting is listening to you now I'm seeing the kind of the narrative of how you've got to where you've got to because I remember Neil Lister who's the GM of Omega Pharma which was your last role in supply chain describing you to me on, on a call as she's a business person who happens to do supply chain mm. I think um, that's true right from the very beginning, even doing that dissertation. Like, I think, you know, yeah, but the, absolutely but I think it took time that, you know, as you sort of mm. walk Walk, talk, talk email. email. That gives you that broader perspective. To then, it's, instead of approaching a conversation from going, I do supply chain. What do I need to know from my supply chain perspective about the business? Mm-hmm. It's like, what's going on in the business? Oh, we could add this value to you if that's what you want to do. Yeah, that's kind of how it shifts, isn't it? It's a okay. big shift. So, from your experience of coaching other leaders, what advice would you give to people to improve the way that they can communicate? 
with especially you say commercial leaders in a business mm. to get what they want or not necessarily get what they want but get what they need or, yeah. or progress further this is communication for me is the absolute kind of nub of all of the challenges that I see in this space and um, I, when we were prepping for this I yeah. I came up with this <laughs> what I thought was a great kind of analogy which was I think what people tend to do and it is that where I come and stuck came up in um, and stuck in Ireland was that I was speaking English and they were speaking French essentially let's say and all I did when they didn't understand me was go to that kind of Brits abroad mentality and just shouted louder <laughs> I, <didn't>, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't and, and you know you, you kind of you can't see beyond the end of your nose sometimes but I couldn't see that I needed to speak in another language and that's got to be the big difference there's got to be the big difference is that you have to find a way of communicating in the language that is going to get you heard that is going to have the biggest impact mm. and is going to create the biggest influence on people and if that means speaking other people's language then that's what you've got to do okay and have you got an example like something tangible um say if you from when you were demand that so the classic yeah, examples yeah. are in an snop meeting for example SNOP meetings are fascinating and I actually <laughs> <laughs> it's a fascinating example and I went back I had the delight of going back into Danon for mm. six months uh, during my coaching career oh man um, and I looked after the SNOP process oh, and it was fascinating with a with, new lens with a new lens with that um, sort of I'm only here for six months devil may care I'm going to do things my way because you can't fire me <laughs> Um, and you know, I got kind of. Um, so there's no seeking permission anymore. No in you, seeking no. permission. Always <laughs> forgiveness. Always forgiveness. And I took the SNOP meeting down from a three-hour meeting to a half an hour, seven slides meeting. Nice. The first thing I did, and I got, you know, the person who had it was on this hugely um, kind of fast-track career trajectory. And once she had her floor with the board, she dragged them all through. I shouldn't say dragged them all through. She took them all through a 35-slide. <laughs> three-hour slot because she was determined to add as much value as she possibly could. Yeah. It was great, but it wasn't but the what approach they wasn't, yeah. yeah. And they all, you know, they obviously all appreciated the amount of hard work that had gone in from her, but they really, they... I'm not saying they appreciated me more, okay. but when I went in with my seven slides and the here's what you need to know if you want any more detail, come and find me afterwards approach, Yeah. it was... Like, you could see yeah, yeah, something yeah, yeah. lifted. So this is something that sales teaches you. Mm -hmm. Um... So I've always well, listen. I've always been I've always been told I'm a natural salesman, but actually I got into it at 25, 26, having done engineering and supply chain. And what I what the thing that was missing for me is like understand your audience. Yes. Yeah. Take your audience into consideration because in supply chain you don't you're not really you know you don't have to do that. Mm. And there's a skill in that. So uh, you know understanding where they're coming from, putting yourself in their shoes. Seeking to understand their agenda before driving your own agenda in order to be able to influence them. That's the starting point that I didn't have when I went into sales. And it's something I still have to say I slip into because I didn't have that foundation in, in a commercial role, but also probably because I just like to just chat endlessly and not really think about <laughs> how I'm being perceived. Um, so sales, people, sales marketing people, they, they, have a, they have an advantage in sort of those 
circumstances because that's natural to them. That's something they've been taught mm. how to do. Mm. How, how can you go into an SNOP meeting having considered the audience first? There is a really, really easy um, trick to this. Okay. And it's one I learned from a Magic bullet, brilliant go. marketeer. Uh, you think about what you want your audience to think, feel and do. Think, feel, do. Before you go into any meeting, know what you want to come out with. So yeah. What you want them to think, you know, the, the key messages. Yeah. Um, how you want them to feel. Do you want them to feel positive? Do you want yeah. them to feel fired up to action? Do you want them just to feel like they're in safe hands, you've got it? Or do you want them to go off and, and like, feel differently about yeah. what they're doing in some way? And what do you want them to do? So you leave other people with a set of actions or you... If you want a decision in a meeting, you you get them. You give them enough information to make that decision okay, in a meeting. Okay, great. So this feels like the stage two. Stage one is uh, choices, not excuses. Mm. Then stage two is right. Learn the language of the business. Learn, learn, learn Okay, this is stage three. Learn <laughs> the language of the business. Then stage three is go into these forums, thinking about what the outcomes are that you want to achieve, and then build your narrative to that end game Absolutely. because by the way that's exactly what sales is and if you're dealing with sales and marketing people and you can't do that then you're rightly or wrongly going to lose their respect to a certain extent yeah. or a lot of them are not going to be yeah. sympathetic yeah. very interesting mm. the other thing around sales is around building a story a mm. narrative a storyline is something that's come up in the two other podcasts two of the three other podcasts I've already recorded mm. Where do you see the need for storytelling in supply chain sustainability? Where, where does that fit in? There's a massive need for storytelling in this space, and it's not a natural space for mm. supply chain leaders. Mm. They're, I think, quite good at probably telling stories about what's happened. And again, it's that excuses... <laughs> oh, you'll never believe what yeah. <laughs> High winds on the end um, we used to have a big book of excuses <laughs> through enough medical order. Um, in order to paint a compelling picture of the future that everybody wants to come along with you yeah. on, you need to be able to tell the story. Mm. And you need to be able to um, illustrate that story in mm. people's minds. And that is a huge... Um, take out from the people I've been coaching yeah. that I would bring into supply chain. Okay, so I'm a cynical person listening mm. to this thinking, bollocks. What's the potential out? What, 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 I am not storytelling at the moment. My supply chain is totally fine. What's the burning platform for me to change my ways? What's going to ha potentially happen if I don't engage this storytelling thing which sounds a bit like nonsense? Going back to the think, feel and do piece, you, you can't get people to feel Unless any you. differently unless you can tell them the story it's storytelling that talks to people's hearts that's how you win hearts and minds and actually compelling people to action compelling people to act in a different way think in a different way requires you to hit them at an emotional level yep. and storytelling is what does that and again for me that's where coaching can really really help yeah. is that you, you don't kind of you can't do that storytelling piece on your own quite often it's it's really tough, especially if you're not used to it. But using a coach as a, a kind of human whiteboard yeah. can help you to splurge almost all of your thoughts and then pull the threads of that and say, okay, so what's the narrative here? What is the story I'm trying yeah. to tell? 
in a way that you don't get the luxury of doing in a fast-paced environment and it can really support you in doing that so I understand the cynicism Mm. but it's it's basic neuroscience (laughs) that we are influenced by stories just listening to you there's there's clearly another reason um, uh, which is very much linked to what I do Um, we desperately need new uh, to continually raise the game around making supply chain a, a destination yeah. uh, function and career because you know triple bottom line it's one of the three we need people thinking supply chain value chain is an area that you know I really need to get into but I want to get into it not just because um, of it making good being good business and driving driving profit but actually driving the environmental agenda as well mm. and if you haven't got a story a narrative about your business then you're not going to pick up the best talent in the market. You're not going to attract it. Absolutely. Um, because that's what I you know, tend to, to make my money from doing is convert what a client tells me they want and then I go, okay, well, why would somebody mm. who's got what you want join mm. and get them to think in terms of that narrative and, exactly. and, and how, to, how to build an, an employer brand that isn't for your company, it's actually for your functional area. Yeah. This is why we exist yeah. in addition to why the business exists. This is where we fit in. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's such an interesting challenge making supply chain sexy and, and a, a destination area for it's already happening. really bright cookies it's already happening it is happening but you know I, I, but it's got a way to go oh it's got a huge way to go I was a judge on the European European Supply Chain Excellence Awards which is what we won at Dan on I was a judge last year and I went to the, the dinner I'll allow you that little name so pale male and stale John it was mm. devastating I was on a table there would, happened to be two women on there one was the guy's wife who ran Pale, it. male and stale. The right. other one was a secretary. And I was just like, where am I? I'm in the 60s. There's no real other kind of... <laughs> I don't see any kind of really um, vibrant supply chain communities that exist anywhere. Well, I'm hoping this might be the start yeah, of it, you know? <laughs> Community's um, huge. But, but, I, but, I, but that's why, again, it goes back to, you know, this is a sustainability podcast. Because I just think this is... The um, uh, the identity that supply chain has been needing mm. for decades, mm. it's right here in front of us and we have a small window of opportunity to grab it mm. and because become something bigger, yeah. you know? It's okay, um, I've, got some, I've got some ideas right okay. here <laughs> and then we're going to have to wrap up because it's just impossible for me to keep to the 40 minute target, um, especially... <laughs> I need to basically get people into the podcast who don't chat at all. Well, and so then, really a, yeah. <laughs> yes. so then there's only one no. excessive <laughs> chatter in the room. Okay, ideas for people listening that mm. might make a difference. Uh, tell me what you think about these. Uh, I should have probably read these in advance, shouldn't I? Um, set up a cross-functional meeting to discuss future of sustainability in your business, regardless of whether you're a supply chain leader or not. Um, do I think that's a good idea? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, again, you've got to give people a reason to believe in it, though. You've okay. got to tell people a story about why they're coming to that meeting. Because they're the sort of things that people put kind of in their diary thinking, well, I'll go to that if I've got time. And Okay, so what's the reason? Okay, so if you were going to set that meeting up, um, it has to come from, you know, Steal our, steal our title supply chain is going to save the world mm. um, we need to do our bit uh, 
come, I'll, I'll provide you with the teas, coffees and biscuits. Yes, there you go. There you go, sweet. I want to feel like I want biscuits. Okay, uh, try and get commercial access oh, uh, and experience. All day long, absolutely. All, uh, it's critical, isn't it? Totally. You cannot hope to speak another language unless you have been immersed in it. So I, yeah. when I did my French A-level, I went and lived in Paris for a month. Okay. Spoke fluent French by the end of that. Perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> um... I wish I could just flip to French there, but <laughs> as I realised last time, I, was in, I, I saw your brain going. <laughs> yeah, I really want. Oh, bollocks! Just that's the moment you realise I don't actually speak French fluently. I just think I do. Okay, get get a, invite a salesperson to a factory. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny. We used to do that at Danon, and it was the. They were the trips that most supply chain people would drop out of if they could think of any excuse. They just didn't want to take people to the factory. They didn't want to get up and out. That's like that's a real shame. But this is about spreading your wings outside of supply chain, isn't it? Come, come to us, yeah. and we shall come to you. Yeah, okay. like, really. Open I've got more here, Rebecca. God's sake! Factories are amazing. I've lo- totally lost. Oh yeah, ask to visit suppliers. Yes. 100% go around their factory um, I did a supplier basically road show every year at um, Amiga and loved it we used to go and see all the suppliers and bring nice. people along to win hearts and minds hearts yeah. and minds journey. Um, go to a conference that isn't supply chain yes um, <laughs> what well, you, where well, should what? you go what idea should I would say I would say it's more around sort of the consumer or whatever industry that you're within I would say that's the most relevant thing. So you've got a nice cross-function. I mean, it could be anything. It could be talent. It, it could be what? What is the issue within your supply chain that you're interested in fixing? Go to, uh, and then people will be really interested in your input as a su- supply chain person. Because when I go to a supply chain conference, people are really interested in my input from a talent perspective. So you can be that star. Yes, absolutely. Okay, practice not seeking permission and just saying what you think mm. more often how do, you, yeah. how do you do that how do you do that um, it takes practice it takes an element of resilience um, and one thing I talk to people about in a coaching context is flags yeah. about being you know having these kind of flags you raise and you say I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in that mode now yeah um, and I think if you if you tell people that's what you're going to start doing. Yeah. Then you've got a little bit more. Yes, you you haven't got full permission for everything you come up with, but you've got a little bit more kind of. Cool. That was yeah. a very good length answer. <laughs> uh, forget about hierarchy. Oh, totally. Speak truth to power. Like speak truth to power. It, if there's one thing that I know really influenced my success at Record Benkiza, it was that I sat outside the supply chain director's office. And when our GM used to come and wait to go into the supply chain director's office to complain about whatever big issue there was, he used to sit on the end of my desk and he used to say, what's really going on, Rebecca? And I used to tell him. Sweet. I used to tell him, whichever GM it was at the time. And it carried on into my time in Ireland. Same guy used to come and sit in my office, close the door and say, what's really going on? Okay, so if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, oh God, that, I don't like the person who does that. What's your response? Well, you can stay sat there you are. <laughs> in that case, and you won't get very far. Fair enough, fair um, enough. 
No, none of us do like the person who does that. I don't think if we're if we feel that we are trapped in okay, the cool. space we're in. All right, next one. You ready? Practice saying no to commercial people. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I was telling you this yesterday when we were... You are. I've got all of these ideas yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> One of my most uncomfortable moments at Amigo was when our GM said to me, this doesn't seem like a good idea. Rebecca, you say yes or no to it. It was, a, it was something that was going to make a 16 grand revenue. It was going to cost 30 grand to mm. do. It was going to make a loss. And... For whatever reason, I was put in the hot seat to decide whether it was going ahead or not. And it was the first time I had, in an open forum, said no. Brilliant. Did you go bright red? I I went very hot. Yeah. And I I felt so uncomfortable. But that was 12 years into my career, the first time I'd ever said no in an open forum, without having, you know, three weeks' worth of gathering information. But, fair play, that person (laughs) gave you permission. You had to be given permission first time around. He gave me a platform. Mm. I'd probably pre-aligned him, because that's another really great supply chain skill, pre-align your commercial team before meeting. Yeah, that is is (laughs) true. But that's best done through walking the floor rather than... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and then the last one, which I think is ideal. Seek mentors. Seek mentors. <laughs> Hello at RebeccaMorley.co.uk. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something I did in my career. And actually, when I was, even when I was in supply chain, my preferred mentors were people outside of supply chain, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. Dan on my mentor was the HRD. Um, right. Actually, that's funny enough. My first mentor was the HRD, and he really gave me confidence. Mm. He just said bollocks to everybody who was having, who didn't like what I was doing. Well, that's what Liz did for me, and she, you know, she kind of. I mean, I don't think any of the board are still there that were there when I was there, so it's all right to say this. But she helped me navigate that board, and I was going in and doing big SNOP presentations. And when you're in that sort of position I was in, you are still very hierarchical. And though I speak truth to power, if they spoke truth back, I would capitulate, usually. <laughs> and, she, and she would... Then we'd have a meeting the week after, and she'd say, why did you give in on that point? Simon was wrong. Like, the yeah. staff director was wrong. You shouldn't have kind of given in so easily. Fight. Fight your ground. Just because he's got some sales director on his door doesn't mean he's right. Yeah. And that, you know, that really, really shifted my thinking forward. I mean, that goes back to one of the first things you said right at the beginning of the podcast. Like, every leader has imposter syndrome unless they have a personality disorder. Um, and we get, you know, let's use Donald Trump. It's a great example, right? He's the president of the United States. He's still an absolute buffoon, <laughs> yes, right? Absolutely. We all see he, I mean, if, okay, I don't think that's too, you know, going to upset. But he's a, he's the he's the he's the president of the United States, but he's a buffoon. Yeah. So don't assume <laughs> that somebody who's got a, a title yeah. knows anything more than you. Whatever, they might be good in eighty percent of aspects. But we're all playing a role. Oh, we're, totally. we're all playing a role. I am a CEO because I promoted myself from MD to CEO, and guess how I got the MD role. <laughs> Set up my own business. Exactly. There's nothing worse. There's nothing more uncomfortable than sitting opposite someone and them going, "You know best." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. And you never get any pushback. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this yeah. kind of, you know, s- submission to all yeah. of my points. Brilliant. But yeah. Okay. We need to wrap up. Okay. Um, are there any questions I should have asked you that I haven't? Oh, what do you reckon? <laughs> I don't think so. 
<laughs> I'm sure others will come. Well, everyone will be able to get in touch with you and ask their own questions. And yeah. and I have to say that I, I said I wouldn't plug anything by anyone, but you've done phenomenal work with some of my team here, and so I would highly recommend you as a coach to anybody out there who's who who is who is thinking of getting some one-to-one uh, mentoring um, coaching. Coaching. Sorry, um, what's the difference? Um, mentors have answers for your questions. Coaches oh, oh have questions God. for your answers. So I don't. I would never profess to be able to answer all of someone's questions. I mean, sometimes I bring my experience to bear. I do. I say, can I offer a point of view? But usually, in a coaching um, context, I would be asking the next question to help that person work through their own thinking about something. Much, much removed. <laughs> I'm going to cross coaching off of my potential future career options. Yeah, because so you're listening. So I'm going to be. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. See, I just said that because just to show I was listening to the previous comment. Okay. Um, final question. Where do you see the future of uh, consumer behaviour and supply chain going in the next twenty years? Um, I think consumers are going to be far more demanding of business to have a very clear sustainability agenda um, that sits squarely alongside any profit agenda. Mm. And actually, it's it's really difficult to change existing behaviours. And so if you've been in a commercial space, especially if you're in a senior role, you've been in that commercial space for a long, long time, it's going to be quite difficult to change that mentality away from revenue, profit. And therefore, you need an external force to be coming in and challenging you on those points. And I think that's where supply chain are perfectly placed, mm. to challenge the commercial agenda and the, pure, the purely commercial agenda. Well, I think they bring the data, the insights, the knowledge, the specialism, the yeah. integrity of information... You know, and the holding the mirror. Up. You know, it's almost a coaching kind of relationship. In the supply chain, need to be kind of coaching their commercial colleagues to yes. say, "Are you sure you want to produce ten thousand cases more of that product just in case?" Yeah, because that could end up in landfill yeah. unnecessarily. You know, why don't we? Why don't we produce something that we think is as likely to undersell as oversell? Mm and deal with the questions from the, the retailers. Well, do you know what's really interesting? In a future uh, episode, we're going to explore the positive and negatives of existing metrics in supply chain and stuff mm, like that. That's interesting. Uh, and also, the role of retailers uh, setting behaviours that have an impact across the whole of the sustainability agenda. Because you, know, oh, you think if you take 10% of plastics out of a bottle top, but... Mm. You know, you you're making a shitload of waste because you're selling eighty percent of your product on promotion. Then, surely there's there's some yeah. bigger things that can be done yeah, to impact the agenda. So someone like Asda's got a two and a half percent waste target, but if you look at that in real terms, in terms of what that is in tons, it's enormous. It's absolutely enormous. Yeah. And well, I actually, funny enough, connected to the chief supply chain officer of Asda the other day, so. I'll, I'll men- I'll, he's not going to be <laughs> happy about changed, this mention. Probably changed since my day, honestly. <laughs> but you know, in in absolute terms, like percentages are great, but in absolute terms, some numbers are. Still yeah, because the because cons- because the populace, the 
consumers are going to start getting wise to this. Oh, and yeah, and greenwashing is going to be the worst possible thing that you can do. And it's hard when it gets pushed back at the supply chain because they'll just yeah. want to sell or return so that they don't have to deal with their own waste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you don't own assets mm-hmm. um, and need to change those assets to change your sustainability agenda, it's, very, it's far easier making claims. Yeah. So, and you know, as a retailer, you've got to be careful to, to recognise that, not, not just push everything up the chain, recognise mm-hmm. actually some of the things that you're setting some of the behaviours up at the front end, the customer end. It's behavioural change. It is. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Brilliant. Becca, thank you so much for coming here. It's always thank just you. it's just always good fun Yay. getting around <laughs> to chat to you, to be honest, with anything else. It's um, been great. Uh, we've covered some wonderful stuff. Um, if anyone listening wants to find out more about you and get in touch, what's the best way? Um, LinkedIn, probably the best place. Okay. Uh, Rebecca Morley. Um, and your website is rebeccamorley.co.uk lovely stuff um, there's some nice blogs on there and things but LinkedIn tends to be where I'm kind of most active I guess Um, and you can get in touch with me awesome thank you so much